Well, it is that time again if you're tuned in to WVIK Quad Cities NPR on a first Thursday in the month, of which today is. Not only is it the beginning of June, the first day of June, but it's the first Thursday in June, and that means it's time for another edition of Music 101 with Jacob Banks. So we- There better not be a horseman on my new roof. Because <laughs> this is, it's a tile roof. That'll make you crazy. It's a hundred years old. Yeah. Horsemen on the roof. Yeah. So yeah, this is yeah. what. So <laughs> we should explain. So things are a little more laid back in the music one on one classroom. If you haven't noticed today, it's summer break. Everybody. The students are chilling. gone. It's yeah. so quiet on very campus. Quiet. Very very quiet. But things are not quiet at the Banks household. At the Banks household, they are not. So we, as everyone near and dear to us is heard ceaselessly about for six weeks, we are moving. We're moving uh, across the street, basically, um, in Moline. And uh, if we're in, we're in the midst of DIY land. We are fixing up this new house. And so, Mindy, it was your idea, I have to say, because I, you know, I can really think about nothing else besides this, but for, you, know, you were the one who made the suggestion is that maybe we could sort of somehow tie in all these home renovations I'm doing uh, with Music 101. <laughs> that was your idea. Music reno. Because any friends of mine who are listening right now are like, yes, he's talking about his house again. Yeah. Who's surprising <laughs> no one? Well, when I asked you if you, you know, if you felt like this would be a good time to do an edition or if we should sort of take a couple months off for summer break, you were like, no, I kind of need to get out of my reno head. Right. Right. <laughs> so true it's like if i paint another ceiling i mean and i love actually i love painting ceilings and when there's no i mean this is the thing this is why we're sort of between the two houses our old house and our new house because i mean try to paint the ceiling in a kid's bedroom it's just not going to happen because it's just you know you drop claws on everything and it's bad so so we're trying to get all this stuff done you know beforehand but it's kind of fun because it's a hundred year old house and uh, it has us looking back in time a lot. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it was designed by an architect who I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with, uh, William H. Sholsky, uh, who designed uh, such, such local gems as the Wharton Field House uh, in Moline for the high school basketball arena, also the Fifth Avenue building, uh, the Masonic Lodge downtown, the Masonic uh, Scottish Rite uh, Lodge, Cathedral, cathedral yeah. yep, yep. Scottish Rite Cathedral, the Elks Lodge downtown. So he, he built a lot of these local houses uh, and, and businesses and sort of there are a couple churches, really cool and interesting uh, architecture. So it we're totally in this like, you know, let's look back, you know, and so everything, I mean, and the, the stuff in this house, although we are doing a lot of work on it, was pretty well preserved. So there's like original doorknobs and original. And so I keep telling my kids, you know, this doorknob has lasted a hundred years. <laughs> Let's not. Let's make it a hundred more. Let's just say that. So we had we had someone sort of walk through the house the other day, and John, my my six year old, he's like, "This is a hundred years old." I mean, my grandma's a hundred and one, so they've met her. You know, they've they've they know her. So, so you know, they're like, "It's older than Grandma Rose." <laughs> It's, it's as old as Grandma Rose. So, so anyway, we're looking back in time a lot. You know, a lot of interesting things about Moline history and the Quad Cities history, and um, and the very distinctive architecture. Absolutely, the architecture is, is, is so well known. Well, and what's so interesting is actually I found because you know when I come back from painting at night, I just like Google stuff, and I found this article from an architecture journal in 1915 that profiled 
It's called The Building Age. And it profiled Shulsky's house. Not the house we're living in, but the house of the architect. It's very, very interesting. And the house is still there. It's on 27th Street in um, in Moline. And it's very cool. But so reading this, you know, is, we learned a lot actually about our home just by reading the details about his home. You know, the fact that the main entrance is over to the side instead of in the middle, which doesn't seem that weird. But actually, it was kind of unusual at the mm -hmm. time. And the reason for that was so you could have this nice big living room. So there all kinds of cool and interesting stuff. And so we were sitting there thinking, you know, you, you mentioned that. And I'm like, well, there's not really, you know, there aren't Moline composers maybe we could focus on. And, but but let's go back 100 years. And I'm like, well, what pieces were 100 years ago? And we found, of course, Ravel's Tombeau de Couperin, which is such a great piece. But actually, what was really fun about it, why it seemed like it was really appropriate to talk about today, was why. Because it also is looking back, not 100 years, but 200 years. Um, if the Quad City Symphony people, uh, subscribers and attenders will know, will recall um, listening to the Holberg Suite, that recently we heard the Greek Holberg Suite, which is a very similar thing. Gorgeous. Oh, you've got this look on your face. All right. Is that, I'm is no that, region. Little, so exactly. You mentioned Greek or oh. Holberg, and, and you're going to get that look. So sorry. Right. Okay, back, back no, to, it's okay. No, no, no. Let it flow. Let back it flow. To the I'm not French, but I'm the same way with Tembo de Couperon because it's like, it's this sort of like. You know, looking back into the shadows right. of our history. Right. So, um, so very exciting uh, to for to to sort of spend a little bit of time with Ravel. And so, I thought maybe today we would listen to a little bit of Tombeau de Couperin, which is a hundred years old, just like my new house. Um, and in fact, we will even look a little bit at how Ravel put a new. Watch this. Ready for this? Ravel put a new coat of paint <laughs> on his own. By the way, I strongly recommend using primer, <laughs> especially if the walls have not been painted for a while. Because yeah. some people think you're crazy. They're like, why, you why do that? But it makes your expensive paint go further. That's why. This is going to turn into a DIY show, just so you know. Like in the future, we're sort of transitioning I know, from we're like music. Flipping Jacob's house exactly. Here this afternoon. We're we're, we're going to slowly transition into you know here's here's you know my opinion on on uh, but you know actually this was a runners. great idea because it Ravel was sort of flipping an earlier piece. Yes. And the mindset, as, as you mentioned, it, he finished it. He started working on it, I think, in 1914, mm -hmm. and finished it in 1917, which was also the year that his mother passed away mm. and of course world war one mm -hmm. was going on so there were a lot of things i think inspirationally that were clearly um uh, coloring what composers were writing no at that question. time and ravel was no different right. than anyone else so in the midst of world war one here he's writing this piece now his mother has passed away right and i i think as as these kind of events do tend to do what do we do to sort of process our way through them right we look back to the yes, past no question we get a frame of reference for right. something that we are not comfortable dealing with right in the future which is exactly what Ravel is Absolutely. doing with this piece you're, you're you're spot on and I think what's sort of uh, uh, interesting about him as a person is I mean each of the movements of this it's a keyboard suite Mm -hmm. Right, which everyone, I mean, along with, you know, a Bach suite, uh, you know, Bach wasn't the only one to write them, certainly. Uh, he was sort of the pinnacle of them, and we love his suites, his cello suites and keyboard suites and all that, uh, violin sonatas too, also dance movements similarly. But, um, 
you know, he was looking back, but this is what amazes me. Again, each of the movements, there's six movements, as there should be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, each of them memorializes a friend. But this is what blows my mind about Ravel and about his temperament and his personality. First of all, he, he, he sort of said something that, he believe he you know he said a lot of these wonderful offhand things that mm-hmm. just you know very yeah. tongue in cheek so you can't sort of quote it as gospel uh, but he, it's interesting to sort of you know I I love actually love quoting French composers I don't know if I've ever said this quote on this show before but you know. Germans love to develop ideas. They love developments. You know, the development section of a sonata form is just sort of the pinnacle. And Debussy said once, he said, he said, ah, um, the development of a Brahms symphony movement, the perfect opportunity to step outside for a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) He said, like, exactly. So, you know, he didn't really literally mean he was going to smoke, but the whole point was, is like, well, you can have your, you can have your sincerity, basically. You can have your seriousness uh, and uh, we will, we will not take ourselves too seriously. So, you know, Ravel once said that sincerity, uh, all music is facade and there's no such thing as sincerity in music. Now, it's interesting because Ravel has a very, you know, when you talk about deaths and memorials, one of his most famous pieces is in some ways a dirge, a funeral dirge. It's the pavan for a dead princess, for a dead infanta. I mean, which is which is truly just sort of like a mythical, it's just, you know, it, I, don't, I don't believe, I mean, I don't know that much about the history of the piece, but I don't believe that it memorializes any real princess. It's sort of like a, a fantasy, fantasy world, you know. So when it comes down to memorializing real people that he knew, um, you might expect from a different composer something rather serious and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, painful and uh, dealing you know with the life and death, and Ravel writes a dance suite of Baroque dances, and this is how, as you say, processing. This is how he dealt with the death of these friends and with the death of his mother. Is to write this? It almost seems frivolous. It's sort of like as silly as Debussy saying he's going out for a cigarette when Brahms starts developing. But the fact is that. You know he the you know the 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 Germans always thought the French composers were frivolous, and the French composers always thought the German composers were pretentious, and uh, and so you just see this v- grave difference in national temperament, and I think it's just very very French. Uh, I have a bunch of composers composition students who are, are studying abroad, and they're leaving in a couple of weeks to go to Paris, and one of them in particular is a huge Ravel fan, so he's going to he's going to. Uh, have a, a great time sort of going around. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing, you know, this is not, it, we don't take ourselves too seriously. So, well, and it's always a good idea culturally, I think, to, to step outside of, again, one's own uh, comfort zone right. and try to view through a different lens right. how other cultures view significant events no in question. one's life. And, no question. And I, I don't think there's a more perfect illustration perhaps than this piece because I'm imagining that for folks who are familiar with Le Tombeau de Couperin and don't really know why it was written or, or are just hearing for the first time the history of this piece right. would be surprised to learn that it is actually a eulogy of sorts. Isn't that amazing? Because that's not how it strikes you no. when you hear the piece. Right. But if there's yes, a eulogy, it's the pavan. It's right, but, right. But, but, but you know. this is what he is doing. Not only was he absorbing everything that was happening to him at the time, but each of the movements, as you said, was written for a friend of his who had either died in the war or who had passed away right around that time. And again, he was processing through yeah. all of this grief. And this is what he did. He wrote, looked back 
to the Baroque just, era <laughs> and seemed to, he settled first amazing. and foremost on Francois Couperin. Yes. And his fourth. We should, we should, you want to hear a little mm-hmm. bit of this? So what you give the background because you came like locked and loaded today with this. You were so ready for this. <laughs> So this is the suite that he recomposed, right, or transcribed or something. Yeah, he actually lifted this one little movement from one of the fourth keyboard suites, the Concert Royale, wow. that uh, Couperin wrote. And yeah. he wrote, uh, well, we know at least four of them. Uh, we figure there may be several more, a lot of Couperin's pieces got lost or got attributed to other <laughs> as numbers. opposed to you know Bach right. where everything is meticulously cataloged oh, and yeah. recopied and you know again yeah. the difference it's just the cultural difference between it, France and Germany it I mean, is. For, you know, it's all oh, you know the French have their you know leaf leaves of paper all over the place you know oh I think there's a keyboard suite over here maybe one over there you know in box six one in each key you know and uh, six French and of course even he has his English suites his French suites his, oh yeah I mean yeah. everything's very sort of carefully organized style. right yeah, exactly yeah, totally. and then meanwhile you know so we should but yeah let's i, I have not listened and, and recently for the big families that's what was striking me too you know <laughs> here's bach with a big family of composers several right. sons turned up but right. you know which are his pieces and which are oh, carl no phillips question. and wilhelm friedemann's you know no question in the cooper family there were several <laughs> that composed it's like oh well it's all it's in like, the family did you write this or yeah. did dad i don't know it's like i will not claim that Right. right. It has a Couperon name. That's good enough. <laughs> it's so great. But anyway, Francois Couperon wrote a little forlorn, which kind of came at the end of this fourth uh, keyboard suite, basically, these Concert Royale that he wrote. And that was, for some reason, what Ravel sort of settled on as a way to sort of get the ball rolling yeah. here on this eulogy piece yeah. that would become Le Tombeau de Couperin. And we, and we should mention, uh, a tombeau is sort of like a memorial. Yes, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it's a, uh, it's up, yeah, like sort of, eulogy is mm-hmm. maybe a good word, but kind of, almost like a, a eulogy of one long path, like, like not an immediate passing, but sort of a homage. There you go. Sort of uh, an homage, yes. yes sort of or Enconium as... is another word I've seen mm-hmm. heard before, um, which is sort of a, a paean, a, 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 a praise to someone dead. So. so here we'll start with, this was the piece that got everything going here for Ravel. That was the little forlon from Couperin's uh, fourth keyboard suite. Thank you. 
get an idea. This was a starting oh, point. Pleasant. That, yes. Yeah, uh, very pleasant. I would listen to that on my new living porch. Oh, yeah. Can I explain the living porch? Sure you can. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So the living porch <laughs> is what most people call a sunroom. But because we have the blueprints to this place, Sholsky called them living porches. And in fact, that article I mentioned, he has one in his house too. And they had to explain in the article that like, well, he calls it a living porch, but everyone knows that this is actually a sun parlor. Sun parlor was the more common term. So yes, but this is living porch music. I mean, this is just the kind of thing Mm -hmm. you would sort of, you know, relax, have a little white wine in the summer evening, like tonight perhaps. And, uh, and then just sort of enjoy Enjoy the breeze. It's just very, un, again, unpretentious, uh, interestingly, given Cooper and all sort of royal uh, engagements. Exactly. Uh, but very, just very sort of unaffected and, and very, very simple. In fact, almost sweet and yes, tender. Yes, absolutely. A- absolutely. So so this is, Ravel used this as a total, st- I mean, the absolute starting point. He, at some point, I think he transcribed it or memorized it or did some kind of, like, he somehow internalized this piece. And then, you know, here he came, should we listen to his, his version, his keyboard version? Yeah, yeah, the four long. Now, he didn't start off the piece with this, but he did find a way, again, to incorporate the four long, which, as we mentioned, it gave him sort of the idea to kind of get going with this piece. So everyone's very familiar with the prelude, and if we have time, we'll get to a little bit yeah, of the opening work. Yes. But yes, by all means, let, let's go to the piano version, which was the first that Absolutely. Ravel wrote. Yep, the one that's actually 100 years old. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. Bingo. That's what we got here, yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so here's Ravel's Forlan from Les Tambours de Couperin, which he based on Couperin's Forlan that we just heard. How to stop that? I mean, with a little more, you know, people. One hundred and one listeners, is it playing in the background? Yeah, I'm just gonna let it run a little bit. Because one hundred and (laughs) one listeners don't realize that there's this thing that happens in the studio, which is like, should we stop the sample and talk about it? Because the music's so engaging. This happens with everything we talk about. It's like I can't interrupt this because it's so great, but we really have to interrupt it. Um, it, So obviously, I mean, the connection with Couperin, I think, is 
pretty clear. One of the things about French suites or suites in general, uh, suites of any kind, these Baroque dance suites, was that it was the rhythmic figures that made it what it was, right? So Forlan is less known than perhaps an Allemande or a Gigue or the other dance forms that we know so well. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So we're we're a lot less. Uh, we we know. I I know less about Forlans. I think most people do. I think it's Italian in origin, um, but it has kind of a uh, any. The whole point of a of a sweet movement is that it's the rhythm that's really given. And in many cases, also, it's the form that's really given. Most dance movements uh, from the Baroque suites are a binary form, which is basically you have an A section uh, that gets repeated, and that ends in kind of an open-ended feel. It sort of ends up, we would say, a dominant function. Or Remember when we talked about dominant function? Yes, yeah. yep. Let's not go back to Wagner now, okay? <laughs> Wagner never wrote a French suite. Why? Because he could never end it. He'd yeah. just end everything it in dominant right. function, right? <laughs> exactly. So it always ends with this sort of question mark, a musical question mark. And then it, the question mark gets answered by going back and repeating the beginning. That's one way to answer the question mark. And then you repeat the beginning, you get to the question mark again, and then the whole second half is sort of a different answer than the whole first half was. But you always end up back at home. That was given, and then the rhythm was given. Um, usually the meter is one of the things. Uh, so... Um, Two, three, four. I feel like four lawn must be kind of in a slow four. Uh, either that or a kind of a six eight because da 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 da. So you would sort of feel it in four or in two, uh, but it would be in compound meter uh, with this kind of dotted rhythm. Uh, and the rhythm is really what typifies it. So um, again, alamans are um, always start with this pickup. So um, the aleman from the D minor violin sonata. There's always that da da. So these these French again those things are given and in the 20th century uh, up until the first world war we didn't like givens very much there was not a whole lot but this is sort of a, a this piece fits in really broadly into the very very huge trend that is neoclassicism um this was sort of Ravel's own take on neoclassicism Schoenberg had his own so did of course Stravinsky um but it's the rhythm it's the rhythm that sort of typifies it that's you could say that would be mostly what he took from Couperin is this very very consistent rhythm and also form uh, basically from what I understand I haven't examined the score myself but from what I understand this movement mirrors almost exactly the phrase structure of the forlorn. Uh we would be remiss I know that time is is short but we must must mention the orchestration of this which obviously came several years later yes um, he wrote this entire suite for piano and then orchestrated it a number of years later and left one of the movements out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think a couple of them the fun thing is um the for orchestration class what i require my students to buy is the mussorgsky pictures at an exhibition uh which ravel orchestrated fantastically uh and ravel often did this i mean a lot of composers sort of like it's anathema to them to think that things would be would live as a piano piece first and then become an orchestral piece it's like there's well there's something wrong with that i mean an orchestral piece is for orchestra and you you can't do that uh but ravel was very much of the mindset that this was this was how things should be done um and so he he's an amazing orchestrator from piano music. Uh, his own Mother Goose Suite, you know, La Valse he wrote for pianos first. So uh, why don't we listen just a little bit to his orchestration of this for long? Because uh, it's uh, it's just uh, it's almost you know this is like you put you know go to Sherwin Williams and put put in you know you know I've been to you know go to Lowe's every day put a new coat of paint 
he, he, this is his new coat of paint on his on his remodeled couperon. So, so there, th- that's an elegy, uh, just yeah, to remind exactly. you this is a that this is a memorial to someone who has died, and yet, you know, in Ravel's own very French way, it is just sort of a, oh, oh, you know, I mean, it's, it's very, very little, very, very, very little about it that seems very, very mournful. Well, and you know, it's interesting too, Jacob, because I actually dug up a quote about that. I was kind of curious myself to see how this piece that was basically a memorial piece for his mother, for his friends. Uh, was um, uh, how well it was received at the time huh. when it was first performed, yeah. which w- it was shortly after it was completed in 1917, so 100 years ago. Oh. And interestingly, uh, he got a lot of criticism from people who thought it was too lighthearted and they were expecting uh, a more somber right. and reflective work. Of to course. Which Ravel's, this was his great response, oh. again, to the criticism. He said, the dead are sad enough in their eternal silence. Ugh. I don't right? Wow. <laughs> wow. So that that's how we gonna that's how we're gonna leave this Just, particular wow. edition of music one. He also said we cook our meat too much. He came to America. <laughs> he says he says, why is this it's cooked to death? You know, he thinks it's, it's he liked his meat rare, you know. To have been a fly on the wall that night. I mean, when he met Gershwin and all that. He mm-hmm. was just, he is an unbelievable personality. And again, very few words. Excellent quote. Very, very few words that gets right to the heart of it. Absolutely. He's and he was sad known enough for this. in yep. their eternal yep. silence. He, wow. he could always choose his words. <laughs> and, and he did. He was very deliberate when yeah. he spoke. Yeah. And he didn't say a whole lot, but everything that he said was packed with meaning. Wow. So, yeah. Like his the, music. The dead are sad enough in their eternal silence. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. We'll leave wow. it at that. Amazing. Jacob, thank you. Another great edition of Music 101. Fantastic. Thank you, thank you Mindy. You bet.